Hi everybody, welcome to my latest podcast, podcast three. Um, just a bit of housekeeping actually first. So um, it's uh, Friday, so it feels nice to get to the end of the week. I've been planning to do this um, actually since Tuesday and just various things have uh, happened during the week. And uh, I was all really all set last night and a friend of mine, um, she wasn't very well and she rang me yesterday and said, oh, can you help me out? I've got a gig tonight and I'm really, really unwell. Um, can you do the gig? And I was just fancied to play. It was with some great, great musicians that I've not seen for a long time. So it was really nice. I had a really nice play last night. Um, and so again, I was like, okay, I'm going to... Definitely Friday night, end of the week. Gonna uh, get this podcast done. So I've been thinking about it for quite a long time. Um, the subject of this podcast. So I really wanted to kind of while it was fresh in my head, and I'd been sort of revisiting uh, some of the things behind um, behind this. I I really wanted to try and get it recorded because it's that thing of when you you know I'm I'm very much a kind of. Uh, an inspirational kind of uh, person, as in, I'm not inspirational to other people, I, I'm inspirational within, within myself, like I, I get an idea and I really want to just run with it immediately. Uh, I, I do think it's kind of part of that kind of improvisal, improvisational part of the character, um, the kind of creative part of the character where, um, you just have that sort of sort of spur of the moment thing. You just want to run with things, and and sort of ironically, I'm not like that in any other part of my life. You know, I'm quite reserved in other parts of my life, like you know, spur of the moment traveling or whatever. My my my, my other half would tell you I'm like useless at things like that. I, I procrastinate about all kinds of things, but within sort of within sort of uh, ideas and music and getting into yeah, sort of thinking about concepts and things uh, things kind of you know they occur to you don't they and then you you kind of run with the idea and th this podcast is called foundations you know so um it was something that came back to me while i was uh, talking about the well in the previous podcast talking about that that, that practice pad thing um there's a couple of things i was going to clarify from the last podcast that a couple of people mentioned to me they were saying, oh, the, you know, the word solace sounds a bit dramatic. <laughs> um, and, and and actually, to be fair, it probably is. But there are times when, you know, we come to the pad in a, in a kind of state of misery or kind of trying to find something. But, uh, yeah, it maybe doesn't have the same, uh, the same value as that word should be used. You know, I'm one for... I don't like people over exaggerating the point and maybe that, that word was maybe not quite the right word but it, you know the, the practice pad is somewhere we come to sometimes with inspiration uh, I often do the pad is often a place that I come to more through enthusiasm than need I think some people um, have uh, well some people never use practice pads and, and that's fine some people come to the practice pad because they're having a terrible time trying to work out something. Some people come to the practice pad because they're learning some 
kind of reading or etudal exercise, you know, um, and it's just a way to practice it without sort of, you know, making your ears bleed or whatever. Um, and some people come, you know, uh, with sort of uh, inspiration to find they've written, they've had a kind of euphoria with something and um, and they come to the pad. I was going to quickly talk about this new practice pad. A couple of people have asked me about it. Um, so... Yeah, we've got the, uh, basically after, after the last episode I was, uh, when I was, after I'd recorded that, I was looking around at, just looking at some other practice pads. And uh, I'd seen this on an Instagram uh, feed. Somebody recorded a video and they had, they had a few of them. They were sort of on the drums, you know. Um, and when I looked, sort of looked into it, um, it was called A Quiet Tone. It's actually by Sabian and uh, Sabian's a company I've never had any affiliation with at all i've had a few sabian symbols in the past they were, they were nice symbols um but i'm not in any way linked to sabian so this is not a kind of an endorsement or anything of sabian um i liked the construction of the pad it's like a, it's a proper drum skin so if you're watching on the video you can probably see it it's a proper drum skin you can play brushes on it so you can probably hear my hand going across the surface now it's a proper skin you know it's got it's tuned it's a bit tunable i haven't touched it i don't think it's amazingly well designed in that respect the um i'm not sure if it's using locking um, lockers locking nuts and bolts i'm not sure anyway um yeah i haven't touched it uh, i'd need to get a kind of toolkit out because you need to hold one side while you tune the top side because it just spins basically um but as as it's come out of the as it's come out of the box it's perfect actually it's really nice um really nice feel it's quite bouncy it's maybe i mean it's certainly more uh, bouncy than my pad which is again if you're on the video you can see but it's uh my one well, of my drum cases down the floor next to me and the pad is actually in the case on a snare drum um, the pad i was talking about in the last podcast so yeah um but i bought this pad and it's great it's got little feet on it so you can put it on a table and it's cool you know and i've um i've been really enjoying playing it and so there's been a sort of thing of like oh new toy so i've been kind of getting back in just to play in the practice pad because of that but when i was um when i was getting back into the pad and doing that last podcast i remembered um this uh, these exercises that I'd written a long time ago and that I used to use uh, in my teaching, um, particularly at uh, at college where I am at Leeds in uh, Leeds College of Music in Leeds in the UK where I t uh, I teach and I've been there since two thousand and six and um, had some amazing students and some of my early students were kind of subject to. Um, to these exercises and um, I often thought that they they suffered them slightly because they're they're kind of um, they're like a lot of these things they're, they're extremely boring exercises but um, but they were kind of designed because um, I had this this sort of theory um, which you may or may or not may or may or not agree with or um, could be an interesting thing for you to think about if you're into rudimental kind of study 
if you've never practiced rudiments before or you're kind of not into rudiments um then uh, this may be the point where you turn off <laughs> i don't know or it may be the point where you carry on listening and uh and think about this concept instead um because basically i had this theory that if you practiced certain exercises um, that were technical they were specific technical exercises on the practice pad it would teach you all the different ways in which the mechanics of rudiments worked um, now I'm not going to go into loads of detail about that material because it's again it's that thing of you know once you share all your ideas they're gone aren't they and that's the end of it you know um, and uh, some things are that you you know you keep for yourself or some things that you you know you share with people that you that study with you and spend time with you and get to know you and etc etc uh, but i will talk about just the kind of background a bit of it and what it's kind of based on because actually the the idea or concept of it in a, in a kind of bigger bigger sense as in away from the specifics of the exercises that i wrote and designed um, the concept of it actually for yourself could be something that you could just design your own exercises that would maybe help you uh, feel more comfortable playing rudiments because the, the the concept for me was um, I studied the Charles Wilcoxon modern rudimental swing solos uh, for the advanced drummer that was one of my first drum books and if you listen to podcast one um, you know, I was talking a bit about my kind of early study and my first teachers and um, Max and Irene Molin, they they were my first drum teachers. They were man and wife at the time. And uh, one of the books that Irene was really into was this book, Chaz Wilcox and Modern Rudimental Swing Solos for the Advanced Drummer. I mean, I, I liked the title because um, it had the word advanced in it and I thought, there you go. I've got a book with the word advanced on. I'm studying from it, therefore I must be already advanced. Um, and of course, that was absolute nonsense. But the book was great because it had um, 20, the, what was at the time, the 25 rudiments. Um, it got up to, yeah, got up to less than 25. And lots of variations, though, because it, so it's actually quite a lot in the early part of that book. There's quite a lot of detail within the, those those rudiments that it presents is lots and lots of variations with those rudiments well, let me go into the details of those now but you can check that book out it's a great book it's um, it came back into well not into print but it, basically I, I i had that book in i bought that book in 1982 maybe 83 but it was in, in the first year that i was studying the drums and um yeah, somebody borrowed it off me when I lived in London. Uh, when I was studying in London, somebody borrowed that book off me, and uh, it was a shame. It was like, you know, it was, it was quite a nice edition. It had this kind of soft uh, cover, this kind of nice paper that um, that was sort of eventually was falling off. Actually, but anyway, somebody borrowed the book. Of course, they never gave it me back, so I ended up without the book. And in the nineties and the noughties. I was trying to find this book in the UK and only, I think Southern Percussion 
was one of the sort of the, the, the sort of percussion importers in the country, you know, imported you know, marimbas and things like that, and that, that kind of side of drum kits, not not really drum kit stuff, but more more percussion stuff. They were one of the only companies that I eventually found online once the sort of internet came to be. Uh, I got into the internet about eight, 95, uh, 94, 95, quite early to the internet, um, and then uh, got into kind of modems and got online, you know, and all that kind of stuff, and got into then got into sort of 2000, got into the sort of faster internet. And um, I was I liked building computers and all that kind of stuff. And I used to build computers for musicians sort of around late 90s, early noughties again, um, just because I had access to um, a trade kind of account. Anyway, I was quite into the computer thing and I was quite into the internet. And I found online that you could buy this book from uh, Southern Percussion. And then suddenly, once Amazon came to be much, you know, Amazon obviously now is huge, but as Amazon developed during the late noughties, I would say, in the UK, Chaz Wilcox and Modern Rudimental Swing Solos became uh, a book that was really easy to find. So if you want to buy that book now, just go on Amazon. Uh, loads of suppliers have it. And there's loads of uh, second-hand suppliers as well, you know. So, so uh, yeah, and I was studying that book, and it was a great book because it had um, all the rudiments in the front, and then he'd written a series of rudimental solos. So these solos were based, you know, kind of on, on, the, on the rudiments. Uh, and they were really nice solos. There was rolling in rhythm. Um, etc etc um, which is just a roll solo with rolls between well they call he calls it the three stroke but it's it's like a drag as well but it's, it really is a three strokes it's all semi-quaver and quaver 16th note and 8th note divisions it's in 2-4 time um and up to sort of 21 stroke, I think, is the longest. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's and I was really into all that stuff because I'd heard Buddy Rich, and again, the story's in podcast one, and when I was studying this book, when I got into playing Rolling in Rhythm and, and some of the other solos in there, they reminded me of Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa and Louis Belson and uh, and Joe Morello as well, somebody I also I was listening to. I was listening to uh, Blakey as well a little bit. Um, but these this kind of vocabulary, as we call it now, you know, reminded me of those players. And so again, it was like for me, it was it was a way to connect very very quickly with these players, you know. And and this and the way the way in which Wilcoxon had designed this book. Uh, was uh, was really interesting because it was the opposite of this philosophy I'm going to talk about in this podcast. It was you practice your rudiments and then you play these solos to almost put them into like a context or whatever, uh, which is, you know, I, I think the book's a great book and, and I'd, I'd definitely, you know, um, I'd definitely practice the, the book and, and practice the, uh, learn the, the pieces in that book. I'd, I'd, I'd recommend it to anybody. But the thing I noticed when I was teaching, and I started teaching when I got older, is that some 
drum students, they, they, they didn't really like rudiments, practicing rudiments. Uh, they liked they liked the second part of that process. They liked doing the Wilcox and pieces, but they didn't really want to practice the rudiments. And and what I noticed when I was teaching um, was if I was discussing, for instance, um, like that that sound. So if you're watching on the video, you you can see there's a a stroke played with the wrist and then the fingers collect the stick and it's a double stroke you know it's obvious and the double stroke roll now talking about that with a student and physically showing that and the sound of it in different ways in which it can be used seem to kind of connect quicker than than sort of saying oh well go away and learn all your doubles all the different double stroke rolls from the three stroke up to the 21 stroke you know and talking about counting um, each uh, so you go one two three four five six seven eight nine ten one you know it's a 21 stroke roll so you count each pair of doubles and up to 10 and then you add the extra one and then that thing works for all of them you know three plus one makes the seven stroke etc etc um that whole thing didn't didn't seem to be as effective as, as actually talking about um just a smaller more detailed bit of technique you know uh, and i found that students were going away and they were kind of working just on that on that moment you know did that just doing that and then and then like for instance there were students asking me about sort of drum and bass kind of patterns that I had um, that I'd learnt, you know, and and had played on records and stuff in, in the in mainly in the late nineties with a, a band called Jimster and, and some other people, but uh, it was a band that I was kind of part of this the UK drum and bass movement and had a had a had a part to play within within that culture at the time. Um, we were one of the few bands that was playing live, and I was getting questions about those kind of grooves. And again, you know, this sort of thing of of having a quiet stroke and then an accented stroke, tap, strike. I was talking about these these moments, these these small detailed moments within technique about kind of how to do that thing and it seemed to be more engaging than talking about a rudiment that might be something that connects you to playing that better you know the one i used to like was playing a seven stroke where you were uh, you reverse the, st the sticking so a normal seven stroke goes where you play right left right right left left right right left and then you repeat i used to like going which is reversing the sticking so you go right right left left right right left with an accent and then left left right right left left right with an accent and you get this this sort of moment where you're you're doing an accent with the right hand and then playing some doubles immediately afterwards and then this kind of thing occurred to me it's like well, actually if you're trying to play a seven stroke and 
you're wanting to do that that alternating sticking variation the, the only thing you really need to practice in that is the accented stroke and then the double afterwards so i started writing these exercises i would look at different rudiments and i would go well what makes up the con the, the complicated part of that rudiment you know what's the kind of uh, what's the bit what's the what's the bit that gives you the rub you know where's the thing that slows you down and so i started analyzing different rudiments and uh, and started to write these these exercises you know uh, and and as I, as i was writing the exercises you get into that thing where you visualize something you then start to see other variations just of that exercise and then you start to realize oh yeah actually if i if i move that accent uh one along i've got to then be able to uh play a tap strike tap motion so you know with the so if you can see it if you're watching the video you can you can sort of see that but it's this idea of tap strike and then release you know so it was just that thing of like like if you're playing like a funky drummer kind of groove and you're trying to keep the left hand playing 16th note semi-quaver ghost notes on the snare drum and then you want to have a backbeat on two and four for instance there's a point where you're gonna to have to play three strokes aren't they you know that's the kind of fundamental of it and you put that on a normal snare drum and play a rim shot with the um, with the accented stroke and you suddenly got this this kind of constant semi-quavers and it's and it's quite kind of you can make it as machine-like or not as you like you know you can put a lilt in it it's all sorts of things you can do with it but but what i started to realize was these are these are the little moments or as i said these little detailed moments as to where um i was finding that if you concentrated just on these little moments you it, it started to give more flexibility you know within uh, within one's playing, the ability to be able to pull accents out, um, you know, and and then this kind of, as I was studying and writing these exercises, I was thinking about um, other rudiments and and about what makes up a rudiment, you know, just that thing of actually what 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 is the construction of a rudiment. Because that really, that's the, if you can understand the construction of the rudiment in relation to um, what the hand is actually playing, um, then you can kind of dissect and work out which is the complicated moment. So things like a flam paradiddle, you know. So you... So, for instance, just forget about the the in between stroke. Just play the actual the complicated part of the flam paradiddle. I'm talking about a, a a normal forward paradiddle with a right left right right left right left left or the reverse if you're left-handed sticking. That's got a, that's got a grace note, a flam, 
at the beginning of it. The, the complicated thing about that rudiment when you're alternating the sticking, so to speak, is left, right, right, left, right, uh, left, right, left, right, left, right, right. So you've got left, right, left, right, 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 left, right, left, left. Okay. So the complicated point is where you've got the three strokes, isn't it? You know, if you're going left, right, left, right, 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 left, right, left, 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 right. So you've got right, 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 three rights, not totally even timing. Actually, as the tempo increases, the timing becomes more compressed and it becomes more of a of a motion, really. But um, the complicated part of that is is just having that thing of. Just having that idea of so so that might be the thing that if you're struggling with the flam paradiddle the only thing that you might actually need to practice is just that moment you know it's identifying for yourself Oh yeah, that's the bit I'm struggling with. That's the bit that that um, I don't seem to be able to get my hands around, you know. Um, so this kind of idea of foundation. Well, I, well. So end, anyway, I ended up writing a. Um, I often joke about this. It's it's a, a, a it's not a book. It's a pamphlet, and anybody that's a a Kirby enthusiasm. Uh, fan will know exactly what that refers to um, because it, yeah it's not substantive enough to be a book uh, so <laughs> and and when I'm teaching at college I've got a again I, I refer to it with my students as a pamphlet um, which is a it's just, just a little it's a little collection of studies which I've written which is kind of in four chapters um, but the foundations thing, it's um, it ended up being about thirty pages of exercises, um, um, and I kind of got to the point where I'd, I'd there were no other exercises to write. You could, you know, you can go on and on forever, can't you? And you, you know, it's it's almost the thing with those sorts of books. I feel is that, that if you kind of like you've gone to master studies or you know, Morello's Master Studies 2, you know, but either of those great books or, you know, um, if you go into, um, yeah, the Chas all the Chas Wilcoxon books, you know, lots of these different books, any rudimental study book. If, if you look at stick control, you know, some of the things in stick control, <coughs> you start to realise that there are actually maybe these exercises in isolation live elsewhere, you know, but what I what I was trying to do was I was trying to put things kind of in an order, and they were they were sort of more linked to um, yes they linked to a rudiment, but they also linked to something that was kind of commonly that drummers were commonly wanting to play or drummers that I was interacting with young drummers that were that were t very talented very motivated that were that were wanting 
to improve their their technique so that they had they were they could play more fluidly uh, a lot of the you know a lot of them were interested in kind of jazz style of drumming but they weren't um, exclusively jazz drummers which I, which I'm not you know um, we tend to get a bit typecast but I, you know I'm certainly I wouldn't call myself a jazz drummer uh, but I can play you know I can play jazz and I've played a lot of jazz you know so um, yeah I'm just gonna pause because the cat oh no the cat is at the door okay the cat's in now crisis over it's actually very windy here and the weather's horrendous and the cat had, he doesn't like the wind he gets um, he kind of crawls along the ground outside it's quite funny um, because he doesn't know he doesn't understand what the wind is it's a very strange thing when the wind blows he just he does this bizarre thing where he becomes extremely flat on the ground and kind of crawls under the wind and I just uh, he, he just <laughs> He just hasn't got his head around what the wind is. And the wind is very, very windy outside. And he was at the door and he was meowing and he was going to start meowing very loud and it was going to really start putting me off. So I thought, you know what, I'll have what I would think of as a comfort break. So I have, and I finished my coffee, which was sat there and it was starting to get a bit cold. And I was thinking, oh, I wanted to get the rest of that drunk. So, um, so we'll carry on where we left off. So yeah, a lot of these players were, um, these people I was teaching were, were kind of coming at coming at drums from what we kind of think as um, the study of with the back with the background study of jazz and kind of the jazz style of drumming, um, which I'm going to do. I'm going to do a separate podcast on that concept because it's a it's a bit of a touchy subject um, for a lot of people because uh, because of the view of people often make this kind of statement i i used to have it when i was growing up when i when i was getting into playing the drums when i was younger and uh, people used to say to me oh you're playing the drums you know what sort of music do you play and i say well i like playing jazz and they go oh you oh you play proper drums you know and uh, i used to find that a very strange kind of statement you know um, and uh, and it's and I, it feels to me like a kind of a, a view which continues even to this day. There's this kind of view that um, that studying uh, jazz drums is uh, is the only way to study drums, and it, and it certainly isn't. But um, but I do have some thoughts uh, about about that, and I'm going to do I'm going to do a whole separate podcast about that, and it's probably going to get me into trouble. But um, I tend to have a pretty open-minded view anyway, so I'm sure it'll all be fine. And again, like I've, like I said, I've just said uh, again in this podcast, I don't, I don't class myself as a jazz drummer anyway. I just class myself as a drummer, or actually just as a musician, really. But who plays the drums, plays a bit of piano, writes a bit of music, um, bought a guitar recently. Never had time to get it out of the case, which I'd love to get. Um, I'd love to learn a guitar. It was actually the first instrument that I was bought. My dad bought me a guitar when I was, I don't know, about 10. But um, I just wasn't interested at the time in it because I wanted drums, you know. So, but, um, yeah, so, anyway, this, um, 
this kind of idea of so the idea of kind of foundations which I want to talk a little bit more about uh, not just about my pamphlet but um, <laughs> this the idea of what foundations can actually mean can mean to you what it means to me which might be helpful to you don't know uh, maybe you can, if you've got ideas you can send me drop me a message via any of the usual means um, drummyd at gmail.com double m-i-e-d drummyd um, you can drop me an email or Instagram which uh, quite a lot of people who probably listen to this will probably follow me there or know me from there very easy to get hold of me on there it's really the only social media platform that I'm really on to be honest with you I do have a Facebook account which I link some of my things from Instagram don't post anything on Facebook and uh, Twitter is purely a college thing so um, I take I always kind of take some pictures and stuff of our lunchtime gigs on a Friday or the workshops and bits and bobs of other things um, but I just I don't like Twitter I'm very vocal and, and uh, open about that I find it a bizarre and utterly bemusing and confusing platform um, it's for me it's literally the opposite of Instagram it's the opposite it's just Instagram is I just think it's personally the best that I've used there's there's other platforms which I've never really got into and I just find Instagram's really easy to you know to see what people are up to um, to have minimal minimal or as much interaction as you want there's it's a very positive platform I feel and, um, and I think the positivity uh, the positivity thing is good uh, Twitter feels like the opposite. YouTube feels like somewhere in between to me. You know, I'm always bemused by people that do thumbs down on something that they're getting for free. I find that very strange. You know, unless it's like someone saying something horrible or whatever, but you know, uh, like for instance, I'm very into cars. I watch, uh, I watch a lot of stuff. Uh, on, on, on a few different channels about sort of um, like you know car reviews and latest technology with uh, electric cars and I'm very interested in, in the way the industry's going in that respect um, it's like you know um, anything that I watch that's not offending me in any way and basically everything that I watch doesn't offend me in any way you know I just uh, give it a like, you know. It's like it's dead simple, isn't it? Why would you, why would you put your thumbs down? You know, but it's it's sort of like the for me, it's like the sort of I don't know that side of human nature which is the unfathomable and slightly unpleasant, and uh, there seems to be a lot less of it on Instagram, uh, which is great, and lots of lots of really nice people on Instagram. So. Um, yeah, so you know, any anything you hear on this podcast, you can always drop me a line on uh, on the old Instagram. So that's good. But yeah, this um, this thing about so getting back to the thing about foundations and and just away from that topic of studying jazz drums, and uh, that's proper study, you know, which is just hilarious, really. Um, but this thing of of foundations um, is 
you know, in one respect, it's like obvious, isn't it? You know, you don't build a house on sand and expect it to to stand up. You know, you build a house on on some kind of uh, engineered foundations. It's got, you know, it's got to have a kind of proven, um, like a proven track record. You know, um, I remember years and years and years ago, I used to go um, to Spain. And I stayed in these urbanizations, these places that were kind of built right down on the coast of Spain, you know, and these uh, places that, and it was mainly kind of British and German and Swedish expats or, or people that had holiday homes, you know, and they were built on sand and um, lots of them started to fall down, you know, because they were built on dodgy foundations. They were, they were built. There was lots of dodgy deals done, you know. The people signed off on stuff that structurally was dodgy, and uh, and it's that thing of like if you if you're really serious about studying, you know, an instrument or whatever. One of the one of the best things that you can do is either research really good information, which is readily available now on the internet, on YouTube, and all sorts of places. There's an amazing array of free information, you know, genuinely free. You know, you don't have to Drumeo, you know. You can watch all these, Drumeo's got amazing content. That, okay, if you want to watch it at the time and you want all of it, then yeah, you have to pay and that's completely fine. That's exactly what should happen. But, you know, if you want to watch um, like one of their sort of uh, drum cast things where they're asking questions and they're online live and stuff and watch it at the time, you know, you can watch a proportion of that for nothing, and it's it's a why well, it's a great kind of loss leader for them. Um, it's a brilliant concept, and they have brilliant content, um, and it's great. You know, and I'm, again, I'm no way affiliated, uh, no idea who I am, and uh, but I've watched, you know, some of their like Mark Giuliano and Sonny Emery. I really like Sonny Emery; he's a great drummer. Um, it's a really great uh, interview with him. The Mark Giuliano one's really interesting. You know. Uh, there's a nice Peter Erskine one on there. Um, so there's something for everybody, isn't there? You know, and that and so the world is full of of great information. You know, and um, but one of the best things you can really do is is find somebody to study with. You know, actually study the instrument with somebody. Like find somebody that you like. Find somebody that's kind of on your wavelength. You know, uh, not necessarily playing the same music as you, but maybe playing the music that they're playing in the way which you find interesting or inspiring, you know. Um, it may be a philosophical thing. It may be an, an ideological thing. It may be all of those things, whatever, really. But but find somebody that has a bit of lineage, has had some, um, you know, has had some, has studied a bit themselves and has a good history you know, can talk about maybe some people that they've studied with, um, talk about how and why they've constructed their ideas. Um, and then see that person regularly. You know, you don't have to see them every week. You may do that at the beginning. I, I certainly did when I was getting into learning the snare drum properly. I was seeing, like I said in, in podcast one, I was seeing Max every week you know it was expensive for my parents we didn't have a lot of money and uh and then when i started to have irene um 
as a, as a teacher and I started, then I started learning timps and tune percussion and stuff. And then when I went to have my music school audition, which was after about 10 months of lessons, um, it got very intense, you know, and uh, I found that really hard and I didn't really feel like I had enough time to practice the stuff that I was supposed to be practicing and uh, supposed to be practicing lunch hour at school on the timps. And, and I wasn't massively motivated, you know, in some ways. Part, most of it was because I didn't believe that I was good enough and that I would actually uh, succeed. I thought it was all a big waste of time. I just thought, why am I, why am I even doing this thing? You know, because I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. Um, blah blah blah. You know, and that proved to be wrong. So, again, I could have. You know, it's very very easy to talk yourself out, uh, talk yourself out of things uh, if you don't have the self confidence to to believe in yourself. You know, and. Uh, but it wasn't until for me, so I, you know, I got on very well with, uh, I, I'd, I, Irene taught me for a few years, but I was very lucky um, when I was in my last year at school, I was um, kind of getting into trouble all the time because I was a bit of a, bit of a scamp, you know, and uh, I was very lucky to, to get some drum lessons and I was the first person at uh, music school where I went to to have this guy called Dave Hassel who's a brilliant um, teacher who lives in South Manchester and um, he's just a he's just a, he's, a, he's a great player and stuff and he's, he's, he's a great musician and he's great at percussion as well hand percussion like South you know Central and South American percussion he's really 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 good at that all that as well he's a very he's got a very wide kind of musical uh, experience and brain Dave you know and, and, he, and he he teaches from a kind of musical perspective and it was the first person that I'd studied with because I was really into drums I wasn't really into percussion and the first person that I studied with I actually felt like I was spending time with somebody that number one I aspired to uh, in some way be like or emulate or understand at least you know or or or, or be able to uh, grow up to have those values, you know, because it kind of values things really, really important, really. I think if you understand that, had the importance of values, you know. Um, so there was there was that side of it, and there was just the side of it is that I I felt like I was a musical drummer as well, you know. So the things that the things that Dave was asking me to practice um, were very. Um, they were very, they were quite simple. They were kind of comping exercise things, and he was getting me to think about uh, about sort of that uh, the ride cymbal sound and things like that in jazz. And but it was more the sort of the I kind of very quickly understood the value of those exercises, um, and was was able to kind of make quite quick progress with them because because the exercises and the sort of the values behind them and what I thought they were going to do for my playing, um, it, it felt like it sort of connected with me, you know, his, his way of teaching. And again, like, so I can say, so I was, I was very low. I didn't know anything about him. You know, I was introduced to him by somebody else. And, um, but I think these days it's easier to reach out and obviously, you know, 
you can you can have lessons remotely with people these days you know um people do that kind of stuff skype and all that kind of thing um so it's very easy to to sort of find somebody that you you know you like the vibe of seems to have some has some good information and then is able to kind of share with you what i would say is a good foundation for for where your technique should be based on because the thing with this rudiment foundations idea that i have these 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 pre it was kind of framed as pre-rudimental exercises that allowed you or enabled you to be able to just play rudiments well you know so it's almost like almost like bypassing rudiments to then get straight to those wilcox and exercises that were the things that you would practice after you'd spent time going through all the rudiments you know these exercises were were smaller shorter precision exercises that would would get you around the corners of rudiments and the prob there's, there's a massive problem this and this is the whole kind of uh, well there's kind of two elephants in the room with this concept really but the the, the biggest one for me and I, and I'm always I was always very open with this even with the students at the time that I was giving these exercises to and the, stu the students who I was teaching at the time were very good as a couple of people particularly now are I would regard as um, really outstanding uh, drummers uh, in the UK. Uh, I won't say that, I don't want to embarrass them, but um, very, very strong players. A couple of guys that I taught uh, quite early on in my time at college. Uh, and these these guys seem to, you know, they seem to be interested in these exercises or, the, or at least some of the exercises or the idea behind it, you know, just that thing of... Of sort of isolating like little moments that were the, the things that really stopped the flow you know because you can sort of you can view things as oh, i want to play fast or you can view things i want to play fluidly and my my thing has always been i have no problem with people wanting to play fast i think playing fast is fine but it, it's that's not the be all and end all it, learning to be fluid will will bring speed there's no doubt in my mind you know and a lot of people don't understand how to be fluid so they they were really kind of getting on with these exercises and enjoying that process but the problem the problem for me was always that you can't get to somebody who has never had any interaction with rudiments particularly in the uk um i think there, there are some countries in the world and philosophies in the world that where there's a kind of anti-rudimental um, approach and again i don't think my exercises and my idea would even resonate within those cultures there's a there's a there's a school of the norwegian drumming that's kind of anti-rudimental it's kind of anti that american it's not anti-american but anti that kind of american rudimental system you know it's it's not about playing in that way and so i don't think my approach to drumming is going to kind of resonate with with any of those people either you know that 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 philosophy is about not breaking things down in that way at all you know um but there's that thing of yeah of getting to somebody before they've been almost like tarnished by the the world <laughs> the world of rudiments you know um but having said that i i still in my teaching now i'm still talking about um I'm talking about from a slightly different angle. I talk about from sort of construction of rudiments. So I will say, okay, you know, one example, 
is uh, flam taps, you know, so. So it's double stroke rolls with, with a flam, etc., etc. And a lot of people, um, they approach it by literalness or by force. If you're watching the video, there's a small comedy moment for you. But it, it really, it's, it's played in a literal way. Now, the flam tap is constructed by um, three strokes uh, with each hand displaced. Um, now, I'll explain that in a minute, but also just to think about this. It's also linked to, in fact, I've got a ride cymbal over here. Sorry if that's a bit loud, but it's it, the, the same technique is linked to playing up-tempo bebop drumming, you know. Ding, ding. And actually, the exercise is actually, you can isolate each hand into the motion of, 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 of two rebound strokes or a strike and rebound stroke and then a collection stroke that's accented. The third stroke is accented. And if you practice that, I'm doing four, uh, four strokes there. If you practice that with both hands then what you end up with is being able to play the the required shape or uh, pattern or mechanical motion that creates what the flam tap is doing Phone restriction thing going on here. The microphone leads very close to my left hand, so it's a little bit restricted. But um, but basically, the 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 motion required is actually that, and the left hand is playing. Playing the same thing at a different point, but then you can actually just relax it, so you just it's so it's a little bit more even. So you end up. Been able to play uh, flam taps um, quite fluidly, and then there's the thing of motion. So, um, the same motion is you play the same shape, and you've got one, two, three, one, two, three. The first strike can be on a floor tom, then the next two hits can be on the snare. And as long as you're 
collecting the stick at the end of the of the three strikes you end up with a nice rounded sound and that's where you can get this sound where the snares going digga 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 and the toms are going dum ding dum ding dum ding dum ding at the same time essentially so there's always semiquavers going on on the snare drum basically and uh, again that concept can sound complete oh my god completely crazy how how do you do that well it's, it, again it's just by understanding that that there's this uh this shape or this this rhythmical pattern in isolation if it's understood can then be put constructed back into um creating the rudiment that's from you know it's like the that rhythmical that rhythmical pattern that sort of like groove is what the right hand plays when you're playing a normal paradiddle for instance and the left hand plays the same thing but at a different point in the bar and it starts at a different point of it but when you get into understanding that get into understanding um, that the paradiddle is actually constructed in that way as opposed to it's like right left right left right left left which is she's quite a kind of it's, it's not a fluid way of thinking about it you know the really the the paradiddle um, that kind of motion you want to be just thinking about I tend to try and think about one input for the whole kind of um, playing the rudiment once. So the way I think about that is that if I'm playing a paradiddle leading with my right hand, to play it once is to go right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left, which means I have I have attained equality, you know, uh, well, to a certain extent, I haven't started with my left hand. I would, I would then perhaps it with my left hand leading, and then we're getting somewhere close to a uh, kind of equality of motion and of, of of hands. But you're essentially playing the same thing, leading from either hand, which is kind of what you're trying to do. Um, so, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't want to go on about too many other examples. There are lots of other examples. Um, and I was going to talk about the kind of the flam in this uh, episode, but I'm actually going to do a separate whole episode on the flam because uh, there's a little bit there's a little bit more to that than 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 just to kind of superficially go over it in five minutes because this thing will just end up being about three hours long and that's not great for anybody. So um, so what just to kind of sum up really, um, I was looking at different things in the world you know about sort of um, how people practice things precision learning you know uh, about and there was lots of different stuff there's things like you know about kind of martial arts um, 
and then there was kind of army training and things uh, these kind of repetitive ways of training which um, which basically build up cognitive um, strength and patterns through this kind of thing they call the plasticity of the mind you maybe heard about this or maybe not you know this thing that the neural network can be can be changed by repetitive practice that uh, you know which can link uh different parts of our the this network in the brain link things together that are not linked yet and again that can be you know that can be negative things as well as positive things uh i mean you know in psychology it can be negative things uh, in a psychiatric sense and mental health thing but also just you know, i don't want to go into that because i don't know really nothing about it but uh the thing in um the thing in in practicing and the thing that i i say to students all the time is one, do you understand what it is that you have to go away and do for yourself? And if you do, are you going to remember? Uh, because those two things are really important. One, if you don't understand it in the first place, you're going to go away and remember something that you don't understand. And um, it's maybe misunderstood. So there's two types of understanding or lack of understanding. You say, I, somebody says something I don't understand, like somebody speaking another language, you just look at them blankly. I don't know what that is. And then it's translated and you go, oh, that's what that means. Brilliant. Okay. And then there's there's somewhere where you've somehow thought you've learned a language. Somebody says something to you and you kind of think you've heard something, a phrase that you've learned, and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what that is. And it means something completely different or it means something slightly different and you go away and practice that thing and you do you know you do a good job of work of practicing that thing and yeah you've practiced something wrong you practice something that's not correct now nine times out of ten that's going to be something that's not going to be very useful it's not always the case happy accidents happen <clears throat> now and again but the thing in this is that you can get very good at being not very good by practicing things wrong. So uh, it's really important, first of all, that you understand when you're learning something new, that you really understand what it is that you're doing. And then the second part of that is, are you going to remember? Because at the end of the day, you know, we go away and we work on our own, mainly with this stuff. You can you sit and watch a video on YouTube or whatever and blah, blah, blah. But if you're studying with a, with a teacher and, and, you're, and you, you're getting materials, then it's really important that, you, that, that those two things are part of your relationship with that person. Is that you understand what they're saying to you and that you're going to remember it. Because if you have those two things in place, everything you're going to practice is going to be correct for how it's intended. And then, you know, if you practice those things enough, your playing is going to improve. There's no doubt about that. It's it's proven time and time and time again. And a lot of it's to do with this thing of the, this plasticity of the brain and being able to kind of uh, connect these uh, neural networks together and create what, what's called i think in in some sort of brain physics thing is called action plans you know learning to you know rub your belly and pat your head 
is a, is what is kind of known as quite a simple action plan, you know. And some people can do that, some people can't do that, but people learn to do it. And uh, you know, I remember when um, when I had uh, I went to watch John Riley do a workshop, and then I, I had a lesson uh, with him afterwards, a day afterwards. But he said a really nice thing to. Um, to a lad who got up in the workshop, who was actually a student of mine at the time, and uh, he he was showing him something that he'd been practicing, and uh, well, he talked about something he'd been practicing. John said, "Oh, get up and can you teach us it?" So he did, and he and he you know he got up and he showed he showed what he was practicing, and it was he did a good job of it. He was clear about what he was practicing. He hadn't got it down, but he was on he was in the process, you know. And John. Uh, very very nice man was uh very you know very generous in his um in his kind of uh, comments you know he was saying yeah yeah you know you kind of you know you kind of got you've got so far with that um and uh, it's clear that you know you're going to get there have you thought about doing this with it and then he you know he kind of asked him to do this other thing which he he couldn't he couldn't do and uh, and John just said to him, you know, you can do it, you just haven't worked it out yet, you know. And I think if we can remember that when we're practicing, um, then that can be a really good way to motivate yourself um, as opposed to framing it like, oh, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. Am I ever going to be able to do this? which is quite a different way of thinking about it isn't it if you think if you really think that through you know you you can do this you just haven't worked out how to do it yet or i can't do this i don't know how to do this i don't know if i'll ever be able to do this even if you go but i'm going to crack on anyway you know i i, I think saying the first statement to yourself and then cracking on with practice i think is probably a better way to think about it when you're practicing you know so this idea of kind of foundations is not only about um exercises it's about finding the right person or people to be around you or to be studying with or to, and to be playing with as well but that's that's kind of whole other episode really um but it's also the foundation of how you think about how you're practicing about how you frame things to yourself and how you have conversations with yourself when you're practicing and trying to motivate yourself and remind yourself of the tasks that you've got to do you know remember from from what you understand making sure that information is good and uh, yeah if you have a you know if you ever think about all those different elements and think about what you're practicing at the moment and maybe reflect a little bit on some of the things that you're practicing um there may be different slightly different ways to see that um see those exercises or those processes that's maybe slightly more efficient or slightly more positive um or maybe just opens a whole door for you you know that's kind of got a completely different way of thinking about practicing um you know it's uh i i spent i spent a long time practicing rudiments in themselves and and it was fine but what I really felt like I, I, I really eventually got to was was just the little moments within the rudiments that are actually tricky, you know. And um, yeah, so 
yeah, I hope this has been useful to you. And uh, I will, um, well, I'll uh, see you on the next one. Cheers.